Merci. Good morning. I, I feel like you guys are far because usually I'm on the platform. I think I might come down. Is that cool? Can we do that? Yeah, I feel like you guys are like far, way too far, and I like to connect. All right, everyone doing good this morning? I didn't screw any tech stuff up by doing that, right? I can, all right, usually like I try to do my own thing, and the tech guys are like, no, but I think it'll work. So uh, everyone doing good this morning, though? Awesome. How many people were at Fall Retreat? Nice, nice. I feel bad for all the people that were like, mm. sorry, sorry guys, we, we, we missed you really, really bad, and hopefully you kind of got a glimpse during the video of what, what we did. Uh, how many people were at Night of Worship this Friday? That was, see, my, my hope was to be the same amount of people, and so, you know, like we just sang that song, there's no place, I know, I'm singing again, I, I shouldn't do that, there's no place I'd rather be, man, I was just hoping that we would have like 150 teenagers there leading the church. We did a good job, but as you can tell, the, the woo factor of that was a little bit lower. And so you guys must have had other things going on Friday night. But next time we have a night of worship, I mean, it's my vision that we lead the church. And so anytime the church has got something going on, we need to make sure uh, we're there. But uh, enough, enough of that stuff. So we just wrapped up uh, our series last month, which was? Yes, I got one. Ten brownie points for you. Pond, which is all about not settling uh, for less and just uh, not settling for less and, and dating. And that was a little tough message to hear for some of you and not settling and uh, just our faith. And so we're going into this new series called Church Without Walls. And I truly believe that if we really embrace, this could be one of those series that we can look back on. It can really change the face uh, of our ministry. And I'm super uh, just excited about it. I can't wait uh, to get into this. So if I asked you, the question, what comes to mind when you think of the word church? I'm wondering what kind of answers we might get. And so, so yeah, let's, let, I wouldn't plan this in my notes, so let's, let's, let's find out. Yeah, all right, pastor. Okay, yeah. Your grandma? Okay, sure, I guess. Old people, maybe, I don't know. Wayne, worship? Body of Christ, you, got, you can't give me the right answers. I'm looking for the wrong answers, so I can, so I can set up the right answers. All right, well, we got some. Yeah, <laughs> we got a couple buildings up there. You know, you, you think of the church with the uh, the steeple. Look inside, see all the people. You got that? You guys are looking up there, and you whole missed my whole hand thing. You guys were. I looked at, it and you guys are all so like looking at the screen. You missed the whole thing I just did. I didn't see a single person looking at me. That was awesome. But okay, you guys know what? Right? You got the church with the steeple. Look inside, and you see all the people. One, <laughs> forget it. I don't even know how to do it anymore. It's like, oh, like like this. I think it's the people. After service, we're gonna work on it. We'll figure it out. You guys, let me know because obviously I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, we get you know we get these. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a fun Sunday morning. I, I, I love it. It's one of those Sundays. Drummer sick, but I guarantee you, how many? There's no youth ministry on earth that had a stand-up bass play this morning. I can guarantee you that. Where's Where's Stephen at? I can't even do this, but if I could, all right. 
That was. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, we get lots of pictures in our mind. We picture, you know, sanctuary, people gathering together, singing songs, uh, laser lights nowadays, and uh, all that kind of stuff. You get, you know, kind of right now, the Sunday morning service deal. But I'm sure there's different and many kinds of answers that you could think of, but I'm I'm not so sure that this is really what Jesus intended uh, for the church. Uh, And I'm not sure that this is the the vision that Jesus had in mind when he commissioned the disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. I think there's something more than that. I think there's a bigger vision that he's calling us to. Something that we really can't contain within these four walls. Something so much greater. See, what happens when we, when we get this picture of church and a building and sermons and, and preachers, and that, that when, we, when that what is what becomes of, of church, we, it all begins to kind of be all about us and, and what we like in a church. And if, and if we like that church, and we'll go. And if we don't, we won't. And when, when church all becomes about us, it, it could, could look like uh, this video. So check this out. This is what happens when church is all about us. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Mean Church, where it's all about you. Yeah, so obviously that's a little bit funny and not too serious, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, in some ways we really really act like that. You know, we come to church and we're kind of disappointed with because, uh, you know, we're not quite entertained. We, we think to ourselves, like, man, do I, do I really want to get involved in the mission that God has for my life? We're like, eh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm going to stay home today because, you know, last week I'm a, I'm a skim milk drinker and all they had is whole milk and the donuts were stale. And if you're complaining about the breakfast we give you guys on Sunday morning, then you've you got to find a different church. So we're not going to do any better than that. Give it up for Mr. Jack. Mr. Jack's always, <laughs> right? But we get to church and we're... You know, oh man, you know, Tony didn't play the songs I like, he played the one, I had no idea what the words were, and I just, you know, he played these songs we don't know, and we're kind of disappointed, or, you know, oh, we didn't get to play dodgeball on Sunday morning, and so that stinks. I mean, we play dodgeball all the time, and so, it not, I mean, not, not all the time, actually, we play maybe Wednesdays, Fridays, but no, we don't do that, we're not entertaining on Sunday morning, that's not what it's about, about you know, you get there and the preacher He's just not that funny. His jokes aren't good. And you sit there with your arm folded and you're like, come on, preacher guy, make me laugh. Make me, tell me a joke. And I'm sorry, I'm just, I, I try to be funny, but you know what? I can't always live up to the, you know, the David Perkins or the other 
uh, you know, hilarious comedy preachers that exist. Uh, and, you know, that sounds ridiculous, but it's kind of the, the way we act sometimes. And this culture we live in is, is all about us. I mean, we can have whatever we want. You go to fast food, you can have what you want. Burger King, have it your way, right? You go to, uh, I love this, if you've ever been on YouTube, which I've, you know, spent a little bit of time on. You can go and look up the video. It's the, the, the ghetto uh, Big Mac. And so our culture is so bent on getting you what you want, you can actually go and order a double cheeseburger and get a Big Mac. And so a Big Mac's like three fifty nine, but a double cheeseburger is only like $1.20. And you can tell them, because McDonald's wants you to have it your way, you can tell them, you know what, I want, I want the bigger bun with the seeds on it. Can you do that? And they're like, okay. And I, you know what, I don't want ketchup. I, can, you, can I get some Big Mac sauce? And they'll do that. And can I get the bigger onions and not the smaller onions? And they'll do that. And they'll basically make you a Big Mac for the price of a double cheeseburger. Now, I don't, can't guarantee you that's going to work, but basically that's what happens. And you can all, you can all try it. It might take some coaxing uh, on, on the part of the person, but that's how much our culture is bent on pleasing you and, and making sure that you're happy. And I think this affects the way we, we view church. We come in and, you know, we don't want to sign in in the sign-in system, even though you guys have to do this. This helps me. When I go to, to the board or somebody and I say, hey, we need more chairs or we need something else, and they go, well, you only had 33 people there on Sunday. I'm like, no, we had like 100. And like the thing says you only had 33. You, you know, we got to sign in. But we don't like to do these things because it's, you know, who cares? It's, it's about me, right? And we'll, you know, well, we'll serve when, you know, as long as it fits my schedule. I mean, I'll, as long as nothing's going on, then I'll show up and serve. And we have these attitudes some, sometimes. And, you know, we'll worship as long as, as long as Tony plays the song I know. You know, I don't want him to play anything that we, we don't know. He's got to leave the ones I don't like. He's got to leave them out, you know, sing a song in the Shekinah. What does that even mean? What does it, I don't even know what some of these words mean when they, I, I, I'll tell you after. We didn't sing that song this morning, but you, you guys know, what, anyone know what Shekinah means? We sing that song, all the adults know and all the students are like, I don't know, we sing it all the time, but I have no idea. And like it or not, this is kind of the, the, the culture that affects and kind of influences our church. Should I get an amen from little man? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. And I'm not saying it's, it's bad to have preferences. I'm not saying it's, you know, bad to have things we like. But what if it could be different? What if church became less about us and more about God's mission? Less about this building, less about the hour and a half on Sunday morning, and more about what God wants us to do? What if the church returned to what Jesus came and intended it to be? What if we are so gripped, radically changed by the message of Christ that it affected the way we live each and every hour, each and every second? When Jesus first spoke of the church, first time this word is even used in scripture, he's talking to the disciples right before Jesus is about to leave, and he is basically letting the disciples know what he expected. This is what I expect out of you when I leave. He says this. Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. So he's talking to the disciples. Peter is one of his disciples, and he's looking right at him. He says, I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer. As you read on in the scripture and you go on to the book of Acts, you see that Peter becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's the one at the forefront 
facing opposition and leading as people are gathering together. And this word church is, is interesting uh, when you look it up in, in Scripture. When you look up the English word church, the very definition says, you know, a, a building where people meet or, you know, a, a group of believers. But Jesus' words had so much more intended with this word church. And so we're going to give you a little Greek lesson this morning. The Greek word that you find in the, the manuscript of this word church is this word ecclesia. So I need you guys to say that. Make sure you guys are all with me. Ecclesia. All right, but less, yeah, just to say it all in one because that sounded like robotics. Ecclesia. All right, it wasn't very loud, but it sounded better. So we'll take it. This word ecclesia literally means uh, called out ones. This is what it means, called out. This is the, the picture that Jesus is trying to paint that it's not a group of, of people that make up this church, but it's this group of people that were called out of the world so that they could go into the world. They were set apart and they were different. That's what the word church meant. It didn't mean a building. They didn't, they didn't have a building. They didn't have that. They had this ecclesia, these called out ones, this group of people. Some of you guys keep looking at the screen. It's been up there for a I can't like make eye contact with everybody. I'm like, is something weird going on up there? This ecclesia, that's what it is. We're called out. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the story of the early church after the crucifixion of Jesus. It's recorded in Acts, and you read in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4. It's the beginning of this church. Jesus calls this, them to be an ecclesia, this called out people, and you see them gathering together for, for prayer, gathering them together to worship, to serve together, to share their resources. And it's this, this ecclesia, this called out people that begins to transform this community has nothing to do with this building because they didn't have one, but they continue to meet together in homes and wherever they can. And we know from history that in the first 300 years, the church grows at like a rate of 40% for the first 300 years. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The, the Bible says that they've been spending it and expand. And as people begin to hate on them and persecute them, they begin to expand more and grow and grow. And people, it's, the Bible says, daily we're added to the number and we're, we're accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it happened not because they met together and sang songs together and had a regular meeting time. It's because they were called out. They were called out to specifically be something else, not the same that everybody else was. They were called out to look completely different than everyone else in the world. As I continue this morning, and you guys have this idea of what the ecclesia, the church that Jesus spoke of, was about, this called out ones. I want to I want to kind of go through history, if you guys will. I know you guys aren't in school, and you know, I know a lot of guys might not like history, and I never liked history very much. I mean, I got a good grade, but I didn't remember anything from it. I'm not much of a history person. But we can learn uh, so much. And so... 150 AD, 150 years after Jesus was crucified and the church began to spread in Jerusalem, there's this man, a historian named Methodes, around 150 AD. He wrote this letter. He's a historian, not a, not a Christian guy, but someone who said he was commenting on Christians. He said this, They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time they surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are reviled, and they bless. 
They are insulted and they repay the insult with honor. They do good yet are punished as evildoers. In a word, what the soul is in a body, the Christians are in the world. And as you look at history, the way you can tell Christians are making a difference, not by what other Christians say, but what do people who aren't Christians say about us? I wonder in your schools, what would those, if you were to ask people in your school who, who are the Christians, what are they like, what do they do? Would they say, well, man, they're a bunch of people that just live set apart and they, they're transforming lives and they meet together and pray and they, they provide the needs of others? Or would they say, I don't know, they're a bunch of people that keep to themselves and think they're better than everyone else? And I don't know what the answer is, but I don't know that history would portray Christians in our country the way that they were portrayed long ago. And as you continue, that was 150 A.D. A little bit later in the Roman culture, abortion was ex- extremely accepted. It was the norm. It wasn't, there wasn't this debate like there is in our country. It was just considered. And, and as you read history, philosophers like Plato and Aristotle, people that we put on this pedestal as the highest thinkers of their day, not only suggested it, but kind of commanded it. Like if, if society is to go forward, anyone with any type of disability, deformity, any baby, uh, especially uh, women or, or girls uh, after, after you're first born, then it, it's completely acceptable to just, just, just toss them. Just toss them out into the backyard and just kind of let them die. And it's sickening. But that was, the, think of a culture that that's just what you did. That, that's the way you lived. But it was the Christians, the ecclesia, the called out ones. And their love for people that said, this, this isn't right. I know this is the culture we live in, but I, we, this isn't okay. And they began to go around and they would search for babies. And not only would they care for them, but they would bring them in and raise them as their own. That was the church. Third century, Rome, uh, Rome and the, the areas that Rome occupied began to have uh, a terrible plague and it wiped out about a quarter of their population. It was said that 5,000 people were dying daily from disease. And those that could fled. They got out of there. They said, we, we're too scared to die. We don't want to be a part of this. We're running the other way. They pushed their loved ones away and they said, if, if they're sick, I'm sorry. Toss you out into the street. Sorry, so sad. That would be as Julian here? No? Okay, so I can use this example. But Julie gets sick, and I'm like, whoa, all right, you're on your own now. You're no longer my wife. You know, I no longer care about it. I'm going to go live uh, with my brother, and you stay in, you know, you're, you're quarantined. You're on your own. And this is the way they lived. It was perfectly acceptable. We're, we're, it was all about themselves. And I'm going to botch this name, but uh, Dionysius, Dionysius, he was the Archbishop of Alexandria around 251 A.D. He writes and he describes the ecclesia, what happened during this time. He says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to the every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pain, many in nursing and cheering for others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of brothers lost their lives in this manner. 
in the ecclesia, the called out ones, the Christians. Their love was so great that they didn't care about themselves and getting sick, but they just wanted to minister to people. Dionysius goes on to say, the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed off the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses, and they treated unburied corpses as dirt. The Christians, the ecclesia, the very opposite of what the norm is, the very opposite as the heathen, as the, the regular person, the Roman citizen would run away, they ran in. So affected by the love of Christ that they said, what opportunity do we have to minister to these sick? They didn't look at it as, oh, we need to get out of here. It's, wow, people that need hope. And they jumped in. As you move on, you get into the more of a middle-aged scene and you have uh, the fall of the Roman Empire and you have kings begin to take over. And this, if you're in history, you know about the, the feudal system and how poor and what terrible conditions people lived under. And the kings only cared about themselves and the poor were left to defend for themselves. It was the bishops. It was a church in Spain and Greece that set up vast networks of social welfare so the people would be taken care of. I love this story. It's Ireland, 5th century. At this time, Ireland was considered too barbaric, too chaotic to conquer and be civilized for Rome. So they were kind of just left there's a young English boy who was captured by Irish pirates and they brought him back to Ireland where he stayed for a number of years until he was old enough and broke free. He went back to his home in England. But yet he was so convicted. He was so a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones. And he knew that he was so called out that he went back to where his captors were in this island of Ireland and he began to minister there. And him and his, his, his buddies and his friends went to set up over 700 churches in Ireland with over 1,000 priests. He took and he went in Ireland, he would take clovers and he would use that to share about the triune God. You guys know who this is? St. Patrick. Next time you celebrate St. Patrick's Day, he wasn't even Irish, just so you know. He was an English dude. He goes, oh, St. Patrick's Day is ruined. Not that we celebrate it much anyway. But this was who St. Patrick was, part of the Ecclesia, the called out ones, who said, I'm back home, I'm where I want to be and this is best for me, but I'm going to go back to the very heathen, the very barbarians that captured me. I'm going to go minister to them. 13th century Europe, there was a need for better medical care. There were really no such thing as, as hospitals back then. If you had the means to take care of someone, you did that. If you don't, again, you were just kind of left to from yourself. This is good luck. Good luck for you. But the called out ones, the church, rose to the occasion and created a hospital where they could take care of those who couldn't look after themselves. And pastors from all over began to check out what this hospital idea, what this thing looked like. And they began to spread it and they began to replicate it all over Europe. And soon Germany would have a hospital for every town of over 5,000 or more. In England would have over 750 hospitals to meet the needs of of their over 2 million people in their population. Why? Because they saw a need. Those who were called out said, God, what can we do to love people? 
They were different. They were not okay. To, uh, something struck them. They said, this, everyone else is just okay with this, but as, as part of God's called out ones, it's not okay to watch as other people suffer and die and don't know the love and hope of Jesus. It's not okay. So they recognized it, and they were just, they recognized that they were more than just a building, more than just a service on Sunday morning, and they mobilized. It wasn't long before leprosy was completely eradicated from England. It just didn't exist anymore. Why? Not because of drugs or medicine. It's because simply the people who needed to be cared for were being cared for. Fast forward a little bit more. 19th century. America. Millions of immigrants start to make their way to America in the early 20th century. Imagine this. You've all, you know, I'm sure you've studied history and you got the boats coming over and the Pinta and what are the other boats? I forget them. Rose Maria or something. What? Santa, Mar- Santa Maria and what else? All right. My man gets an A plus in history right there. The Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria. All right, and a bunch of make up your own name for your boat. All right, but imagine you're on your boat, your your fictitious boat. Name it something cool like Thunder or something, um, and you you get to America. Awesome, you you you're promised you know this way of you know, freedom and opportunity, but yet you have no clue where to go, no clue who to turn to. You just landed on the shore and there's nowhere to live, and you don't really speak English because you're from another. You know, maybe you're from. Italy and Spain and all these different places, and so uh, you're Polish or uh, all these different things, and you can't speak English, you don't know where to go. You don't know where to go to find information, and everywhere you turn is just craziness. But it was the ecclesia. You bump into these people, these called out ones, and say, hey, come in, we'll house you, we'll begin to feed you, we'll begin to host classes and train you in, in how to live in your new home." These called out ones that began to reach out to other people because they knew, hey, there's a need. There's all these people coming and they have nowhere to go. Let's meet it. Universities founded in America started by the ecclesia, the church. If you looked up, 106 of the first 108 universities were founded by the church. Yale, the church. Princeton, the church. Harvard. The ecclesia, the called out ones that said there's a need for people to understand and that's our opportunity. And so they met it. And all throughout history, whether it was ministering during a plague, whether it was going to a a barbaric civilization, whether it was creating a hospital where there was none, whether it was housing people off a boat, people saw a need to love people and they jumped on it. Fast forward, 2012. Element Student Ministries, the Woods Church. I'm not saying God's calling us to erect some some building or center. I think we, we already have one of those. And I'm not saying he's calling us to start a program, but he is calling us to a movement. He's calling each and every one of us to say, you are called out of the world, not so that you can just keep it to yourself, not so you can just call yourself a Christian, but you, you're something much greater than that. He's calling each and every one of us out of our comfort zone to minister to those around us, to minister to those in our schools, to be something more than just an hour and a half service where we sing some songs, eat some bagels, put them away, and then go watch the Lions. 
go to we don't have a good restaurant down here. I don't know where you go. I'm sorry. We live in Michigan. But it's more than that. It's more than this building, this wall, our gym. As we end to close, if the band would come back up. I want to read a, a scripture to you guys out of Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 4 through 7. I want to set it up for you real quick. So you have the, the Israelites in Jerusalem, and they're God's people. They are his called out ones. And they weren't necessarily living for God at the time, and they were kind of doing their own thing, and everything. they were kind of enjoying the blessings of being God's people, but yet they didn't own up to it, and they, weren't, they really weren't ministering to the nations and being the blessing that God wanted them to be. And so Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, which I know isn't doing all that good right now, but back then they were a power to be reckoned with. They went in and they conquered Israel. And it was the custom back then that they would bring back leaders and influential people and they would, they would bring them back to live. So which is actually kind of smart. So they went in and they conquered Israel and instead of just slaughtering them all, they said, hey, let's take all the smart people, let's take all the good leaders and let's bring them back and then it'll make us better and we'll force them to lead our, you know, be part of our leadership. And it's a very good strategy. And so Jeremiah is writing to this group of people, this group of called out ones who are displaced and held captive in another country. And he says this, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, sends this message to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says this, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food you produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them and have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for that the city where you are held captive. For if Babylon has peace, so will you. And what Jeremiah is telling you, not don't fight, don't run from their culture, but enter into it. Enter into their cities, communities, and be a reflection of who God is to those people. Just because you're somewhere else doesn't mean the blessing that God has for you, doesn't mean the title of the church and the call that one has gone away. Just because you leave the church, this building right here, when you leave, doesn't mean the calling of a called out one goes away. No. When you go into that restaurant, when you go back to your family, to dinner, when you go into your schools, to your sports, to your band, to your karate, or whatever else you do, you are still a called out one. And God is calling you to live as one of them, to be a reflection of Jesus, to be a blessing to those around you, to in each and every time you have an opportunity to serve those around you. And over the next few weeks, I, I, just, I can't wait because we're going to begin to offer these opportunities and areas where we can be the church. And as I said earlier, this next three weeks is going to be a time where my prayer is that it kind of shapes who we are. We've made some changes in kind of our programming and what we do when we do it. But who we are has got to continue to increase to be more like Christ. God's vision isn't for a hundred of us to sit and worship. His vision, the vision for this is our community. Four or five hundred, that this looks like a Friday night, that this building is packed. Because you, the called out ones, when you leave this place, never stop reflecting Christ. I want you to go ahead and watch this video. Imagine a church where every member is passionately... There it is. 